Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Oh, folks, folks, folks. Today, we will embark on an exploration of Pennsylvania folklore, where the past whispers through the walls of an infamous prison and the very ground beneath our feet conceals a haunting secret. Join me as we unlock the gates to Eastern State Penitentiary and venture into the ghostly remnants of a town consumed by an unseen force. Get ready for a tale of history, hauntings, and the eerie echoes of a state steeped in mystery and cheesesteaks. Oh, and roast pork from the Knicks. Oh, Jesus, do I love meat on bread. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Nestled at the outermost edge of the Pennsylvania coal region, Centralia languishes as a spectral remnant of its former self. Its broken sidewalks and obsolete street signs serve as faded echoes of a once-thriving town, now reduced to a mere whisper of life. A foreboding presence hangs heavy in the air, ripping the hearts of those who pass through its desolate streets. They bear witness to the remnants of a forgotten era, where eerie tales of shadowy figures and spectral apparitions haunt the abandoned buildings. The road that winds its way towards Centralia often becomes mistaken for the very gateway to hell itself. For decades, an inferno has raged beneath the city's deserted streets, its flames devouring the darkness and spewing forth toxic gases like carbon monoxide. On certain days, smoke rises from the cracks in the asphalt, a silent warning of this fire's relentless fury. On others, an eerie gray fog enshrouds the town after a rainy morning, engulfing it with an otherworldly aura. 
Isolation and superstition have woven themselves into the very fabric of the coal region, rendering it a place of desolation and secrets. A cloak of silence descends upon its residents, veiling their tongues from speaking of certain matters. It is an unspoken protocol, a shared understanding that strange occurrences are discussed only in hushed tones, while other topics remain buried within the depths of their suppressed consciousness. As the least populated municipality in Pennsylvania, Centralia has become a grim attraction for those drawn to its surreal madness. The town, which was once teeming with life, now houses more souls in its three cemeteries than it does living inhabitants. Merely a handful of individuals now call Centralia home, their numbers dwindling from over a 1,000 in 1981 to less than 10 in 2013. They were driven away by the hand of governmental intervention, hysteria, and some say the curse of an enraged priest. Father Daniel Ignatius McDermott is a pivotal figure in the pages of Centralia's history. At the tender age of 25, he took up residence there, having been ordained as a priest merely 10 months prior. Celebrating masses in a humble schoolhouse, he embarked on his spiritual journey, unaware of the darkness that awaited him. It was in 1868 that Centralia's founder, Alexander Ray, met his untimely demise, murdered while riding in his horse-drawn buggy. According to Canadian researcher Ruth Forsyth, this tragic event set in motion a series of fateful occurrences. He said Father McDermott, suspecting the killers were members of his congregation, began denouncing the Molly Maguires from their pulpit. On a night in 1869, a group of men attacked Father McDermott in the church cemetery in retaliation. According to legend, Father McDermott, after being assaulted, managed to make his way back to the church and ring the bell to summon the townsfolk. It was then he pronounced a curse upon the town. In his wrath, McDermott prophesied that one day, only St. Ignatius' Roman Catholic Church would remain standing in Centralia. He foretold the erasure of the town from the face of the earth. While his curse did not come to pass entirely as predicted, for St. Ignatius is not the last structure standing, the stately church persevered until its final service on June 25, 1995. The underground fire that plagued Centralia eventually raised it to the ground in 1997. From Centralia's haunted depths, paranormal breadcrumbs trail to other locales in the ghostly coal region. In nearby Carbon County, the old Jim Thorpe Jail harbors the spirit of another Molly McGuire. Within its ancient walls, a prisoner's handprint adorns the surface of prison cell 17. Alexander Campbell, one of the inmates vowed that this handprint would forever serve as the proof of his innocence. On the day of the rope, which was June 21, 1877, Campbell and three other Mollies met their fate upon the gallows, illuminating a dark chapter in America's early labor movement. According to the Old Jail Museum history site, before their hanging, the men proclaim their innocence, and today's historians believe that many of the condemned men were falsely accused of murder. Before his hanging, one man pressed his hand onto the dirty floor of his cell and firmly imprinted it into the wall, proclaiming, This handprint will remain proof of my innocence. Despite efforts by past wardens to eradicate it through washing, painting, and even reconstructing part of the wall, 
the handprint still remains. While it was initially believed to be Alexander Campbell's, further research suggests it belongs to a man named Thomas Fisher. Adding to the intrigue of coal region mythology is Richard Sharpshaver, born in nearby Berwick. He birthed a present-day cult surrounding underground civilizations claiming to have been imprisoned by a subterranean world deep within the earth. In letters penned to amazing stories, Shaver chronicled his encounters with an ancient race known as the Elder Race or Titans, who dwelled within caverns hidden beneath the surface. Shaver identified two distinct factions, the Malevolent Deros and the Benevolent Teros. Editor Ray Palmer published these letters between 1945 and 1948, insisting that they were true accounts, thus launching what became known as the Shaver Mysteries among the sci-fi community. Centralia lies more than 15 miles from Shepton, the site of a notorious mining disaster that captured international attention in 1963, claiming the life of one miner. Rumors of cannibalism swirled around the missing miner's body, and they persist to this day. Shepton stands as one of the coal region's last paranormal anomalies, harboring tales of miracles and supernatural humanoid creatures. Countless books, horror films, and documentaries have drawn inspiration from Centralia's eerie lore. In 2004, director Christoph Gans and screenwriter Roger Avery embarked on a script that would become the first in a series of Silent Hill films. Released in 2006, this psychological horror film adapted Konami's 1999 video game, Silent Hill. It chronicles Rose's harrowing journey as she takes her adopted daughter Sharon to the town of Silent Hill only to find herself awakening to Sharon's disappearance. In her search for her daughter, Rose confronts a local cult and begins unraveling a dark secret of the town's past. Gans encapsulated the essence of Silent Hill's connection to its tormented child, Alessa, and the cult. It's a town of people trapped in dark dreams, and she inflicts onto the town what those people did to her body. That is, to me, the meaning of the darkness. The appearance of the town is corrupted in the way that her own flesh was wounded, he said. Avery drew inspiration from Centralia when crafting Silent Hill's chilling setting, incorporating elements such as the town's Gothic-style church. He revealed that his father, a mining engineer, had regaled him with stories from an underground fire that spewed toxic gases, forcing Centralia's residents to abandon their homes. Indeed, Centralia's history reads like pages torn from a horror novel. For over 50 years, an underground inferno has consumed the heart of this once bustling boomtown. It is believed to have ignited in an abandoned mining pit, which had become a dumping ground for the town's refuse. Countless attempts to extinguish the unyielding flames have proven futile. Workers resorted to blasting and excavating the inferno, then drilling boreholes to fill it with concrete, wet sand, and fly ash, all in a desperate bid to suffocate the fire. As a final resort, a massive containment trench was dug to halt the fire's relentless advances, only to meet with failure. In his article titled, I Live in Centralia, Pennsylvania, It's America's Creepiest Ghost Town, writer Evan V. Simeon vividly portrays a perilous environment that lurks beneath Centralia's surface. He says, Underneath Centralia, the endless fire has created an environment as deadly as the surface of Saturn. While the gases aren't lethal above ground, they wreak havoc upon the health of its residents. 
Poisonous gases have even seeped into some citizens' basements. One man described how it had become an inseparable part of Centralia's weather. We always had the smoke, and my wife would fall ill if she came too close. We steer clear of it. It's nothing but bad news. Only tourists venture into that cursed place. Once a vibrant community boasting seven churches and a tightly knit population of over 2,500 individuals, Centralia underwent a cataclysmic transformation around 1984. Nearly all of its residents succumbed to the government's buyout offers, relocating elsewhere in search of safety. The majority of houses were purchased and subsequently demolished as part of a federal relocation program, erasing tangible traces of lives lived within their walls. However, a few defiant souls remained, refusing to abandon their lifelong abodes even in the face of toxic fumes. In 1992, Governor Bob Casey declared eminent domain, condemning all structures and appropriating the town itself. Essentially, the residents were bought out, coerced into relinquishing their ties to Centralia. Over $42 million was spent relocating these inhabitants to safer grounds. Massive bulldozers laid waste to more than 500 homes, leaving behind only condemned spaces. Conspiracy theories whispered tales of collusion between the government and the coal companies, driven by a shared desire to seize control of a rich anthracite vein that lay beneath the town. But those who remained didn't roll over and show their bellies. The dwindling residents fought back valiantly in court, though their pleas for justice fell upon deaf ears. In 2002, the U.S. Postal Service stripped Centralia of its zip code, 17927 forcing locals to retrieve their mail from post office boxes. The final act in this tragic saga unfolded in 2009, when Governor Ed Rendell initiated the formal eviction of those few remaining citizens. Route 61, which was once a lifeline connecting Centralia to the outside world, now lies closed and rerouted due to the shifting and buckling of its surface under the intense heat below. Cracks cleave the once smooth asphalt road, while hot blasts of steam punctuate the highway with fiery exhales. Choked out by toxic fumes of carbon monoxide and acidic smoke, the residents were forced to abandon this treacherous artery. The Department of Transportation relinquished a three-quarter mile section of Route 61 to its fate, leading it to be dubbed the Graffiti Highway. Over time, this stretch of road has drawn gawkers and curiosity seekers seeking to witness firsthand the smoldering mountainside or to leave their mark upon its graffiti-strong canvas. In 2017, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania began cracking down on those curious onlookers, citing trespassers upon the infamous graffiti highway. Considering the multitude of bizarre and seemingly paranormal elements that intertwine within Centrella's narrative, an article titled, Is Centralia Haunted?, offers a thought-provoking conclusion. It reads, with strangeness and peculiarity often comes rumors and stories. Centralia is no exception in this regard. Wandering through the ruins of this modern-day ghost town, one cannot help but sense the presence of supernatural forces lurking beneath their feet. From the lips of visitors to the town, tales arise from the ashes. Some speak of visitors fleeing in fear, convinced they witness a person or entity heard eerie sounds, or felt an unshakable gaze upon them. 
Others even go so far as to declare Centralia as the very gateway to hell itself. In such an environment, imaginations run wild. As Centralia continues its descent into a modern-day ghost town, with the encroaching fire now reaching the abandoned graveyards, rumors swirl that Centralia is indeed haunted. And perhaps it is. Today, Centralia remains a weed-strewn ghost town, inhabited by only a handful of souls who dwell above the unyielding nightmare, an underground fire that defies all attempts to extinguish it. How long will this buried inferno continue to blaze? Only the devil himself knows. Hey folks, so I made it to Pennsylvania, the neighboring state to what the state I call home, New Jersey. And uh, this, this, uh, this episode's interesting because these are two places, Centralia and the next place I'm about to speak about, um, I visited. Well, Centralia I tried to visit and I got pretty close, but I never went in because I'm a coward. A couple of my buddies went in, they took some photos and stuff, but apparently I didn't miss much. They were creeped out, but I said, I ain't going. They had to walk through. We had to park at like some, you know, it's, it's, don't listen to anything I'm saying. Don't do this. Don't go. It's private property. You can't go out there. But supposedly what we were supposed, this was also years and years ago. As you park down this, you know, neighboring town and you walk through these woods. And once I saw those woods, I said, I ain't get me go through there about covered in ticks and God knows what. Oh, thanks. The next place I'm going to talk about, uh, Eastern State Penitentiary, I visited. Uh, I did their tour of the, the prison and you know all the stuff that goes on in there. That was really cool. It's like a walking audio tour. You put like headphones on and you walk around the prison and you press these buttons when you get to certain areas and it tells you all about it. And it was during Halloween time where they host an incredible haunted house. And uh, I went back that evening with some friends and went... Stopped over, got a cheesesteak over at uh, Pony Luke's. How you doing? And, uh, yeah. So, if you're in that area and you're looking for something to do Halloween time, I definitely recommend it. But, anyway, I just wanted to stop and say thank you to everybody and uh, for the reviews and, the you know, the voicemails. I also wanted to give, in my thickest New York accent, a very happy birthday. Happy birthday. No, seriously, though. Happy birthday, Jen. Jen is one of my oldest members of the Patreon. She's also from Pennsylvania and also sent me an email, not requesting, but suggesting that I do a whole list of places she sent me. Thank you so much for that. But I chose Centralia and Eastern State Penitentiary, two places that I'm most familiar with, two places that were a short drive from my home when I lived in Staten Island and an even shorter drive from my home in Jersey. So, again, happy birthday, Jen. Wish you the best. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a member. And uh, thanks for being a friend. Yeah, so, happy birthday. And let's keep this train rolling. Later, folks. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history. Unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part? 
is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Looking down these dreary passages, the dull repose and quiet that prevails is awful. Over the head and face of every prisoner who comes into this melancholy house, a black hood is drawn. The curtain drop between them and the living world. He is a man buried alive, to be dug out in the slow round of years. Charles Dickens, 1842. The Eastern State Penitentiary, nestled in the heart of Philadelphia, stands as a formidable testament to a time of radical change and the pursuit of penitence. This infamous prison, known for its haunting history and notorious inmates, holds a place in the history of correctional reform. The genesis of this revolutionary institution can be traced back to the year 1787, a mere four years after the conclusion of the American Revolution. It was during this time that influential men gathered within the walls of Benjamin Franklin's home embarked upon a discussion that would alter the course of prison reform forever. The Walnut Street Jail, situated just behind Independence Hall, had become a breeding ground for abhorrent conditions, housing men, women, and children who had committed crimes ranging from petty theft to heinous murder. These unfortunate souls languished together in squalid pens, teeming with disease, danger, and despair. The jailers and fellow inmates alike subjected them to unspeakable abuse, while meager provisions such as food, heating, clothing, and protection remained luxuries reserved solely for those who could afford them. Rape, robbery, and beatings were rife within these grim confines, and death by cold or starvation was an all-too-common fate. It was in response to these circumstances that the Philadelphia Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Prisons emerged. Well, that's a mouthful. Convening at Benjamin Franklin's residence, these compassionate individuals sought to discuss alternatives and improvements to the prevailing system. Among their ranks was Benjamin Rush, a notable Philadelphia physician and one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He came up with the idea of a house of repentance, bypassing traditional prisons in favor of a place where inmates could meditate upon their crimes, experience spiritual remorse, and undergo rehabilitation. This radical proposal laid the foundation for what would later be known as the Pennsylvania system, a revolutionary method that would be implemented not only at Eastern State Penitentiary, 
but also in countless institutions around the world. The Pennsylvania Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Prisons, also now known as the Pennsylvania Prison Society, continues to advocate for correctional reform and social justice to this day. With the endorsement of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the dedicated men set to work within the confines of the Walnut Street Jail. In 1790, a modest penitentiary house emerged, boasting 16 solitary cells. Segregated by sex and crime, the inmates found peace in vocational workshops that occupied their time and provided relief from the horrors they had endured. Although these efforts marked a significant improvement, the jail remained overcrowded, its population swelling alongside the city's growth and escalating crime rates. The groundbreaking for Eastern State Penitentiary occurred in 1822, transforming a cherry orchard just beyond the city's embrace into an architectural marvel. The vision of British-born architect John Haviland, this penitentiary stood unparalleled in its design and purpose. Seven single-level cell block wings radiated from a central surveillance hub, granting one guard an unobstructed view of all cell blocks. Haviland drew inspiration from English prisons and asylums that had begun to take shape in the 1780s, bestowing upon his creation a neo-Gothic aesthetic. The imposing facade, with all its deceptive battlements and ornate windows, exuded an air of intimidation. While within, the structure evoked a sense of reverence akin to what was found in the hollowed halls of a church. After seven arduous years, Eastern State Penitentiary opened its formidable doors in 1829. Initially capable of housing 250 inmates, each prisoner was afforded their own 8 by 12 foot cell. A sanctuary complete with central heating, a flush toilet, running water, a shower and a bath, a skylight, and a private exercise yard. From the moment of their arrival, the inmates were plunged into isolation, their heads veiled with eyeless hoods as they were escorted into the depths of the prison. This seclusion persisted, allowing them to meditate upon their crimes and find solace in the pages of the Bible, which served as a beacon guiding them towards reformation. To facilitate this profound transformation, Prisoners were forbidden from mingling with their peers or maintaining contact with friends and family outside. Even within their cells, masks obscured their faces during solitary exercise hours in private yards. These interactions with guards were minimal, reduced to a mere portal to which meals and work materials were passed. The warden would visit each inmate daily, while overseers were mandated to see them at least three times a day. Yet, even these encounters were mediated through a small portal, ensuring limited contact. However, just two short years after its inception, Eastern State Penitentiary found itself grappling with an influx of criminals. The demand for space necessitated the addition of second floors to all wings, further straining the already overburdened institution. In 1831, the first female prisoner entered the penitentiary marking another milestone in its storied history. The year 1832 witnessed a daring escape from the confines of this seemingly impenetrable fortress. A prisoner who enjoyed partial freedom as the warden's waiter capitalized on his privileges and descended from the roof of the front building using a makeshift ladder. Eventually, he was recaptured and returned to his cell, but he would repeat this audacious feat again in 1837. By 1836, the original plan had come to fruition. 
culminating in the completion of a structure that stood as the largest and most expansive public edifice ever erected in the United States. With a price tag of $780,000, which is equivalent to over $18 million in present-day terms, Eastern State Penitentiary ranked second in cost only to the U.S. Capitol. The Pennsylvania system, with its emphasis on isolation and remorse, faced opposition from the Auburn system, also known as the New York system. The latter advocated for forced labor and silence of prisoners, coupled with physical punishment, a methodology that gained favor within the United States. Nonetheless, Eastern State Penitentiary's radio floor plan and system of solitary confinement attracted delegates from across the globe, positioning it as a model for over 300 prisons worldwide. Yet, not all were convinced of the efficiency of this method. Charles Dickens, after a visit in 1842, expressed scathing criticism. I am persuaded that those who design this system do not know what they are doing. I hold the slow and daily tampering with the mysteries of the brain to be immeasurably worse than any torture of the body. As the years wore on, the prison found itself contending with overcrowding, prompting the addition of four new cell blocks in 1877. These expansions necessitated changes to the original system, as individual exercise yard gave way to communal exercise areas. Nevertheless, inmates were still required to wear masks and maintain silence. Despite the Pennsylvania system's aversion to corporal punishment, instances of abuse persisted within Eastern State Penitentiary. Guards and counselors devised various physical and psychological torments for inmates who transgressed. Among these tortures was the infamous water bath. This subjected prisoners to dousing with water during winter months and then exposed to freezing temperatures until ice formed on their skin. Another agonizing torment came in the form of the mad chair, wherein inmates endured days of tightly bound confinement until their circulation was nearly severed. The iron gag entailed securing an inmate's hands behind their back fastening a chain to an iron collar in their mouth and then causing their tongue to tear and bleed. Beneath block number 14 lays a dark abyss known as the hole. Inmates were banished to the subterranean cell enduring weeks of solitary confinement devoid of light or human contact, subsisting solely on meager rations of bread and water. The Pennsylvania system was ultimately abandoned in 1913 due to the prison's overwhelming population. Eastern State Penitentiary transitioned into a facility where prisoners shared cells, worked together, and even engaged in organized sports. By the 1920s, the prison teamed with over 2,000 inmates, prompting the construction of additional cells, including underground chambers. The windowless cells no longer served as havens for rehabilitation, but transformed into instruments for punishment. Each cell became home to two or three prisoners, and in 1923, all female inmates were relocated to the newly established prison in Muncie. In July of 1923, Leo Callahan and his five cohorts brandished pistols as they scaled the east wall using a ladder they had painstakingly constructed. After overpowering a group of unarmed guards, Callahan and his accomplices embarked on their audacious escape. While his comrades were eventually apprehended, including one who journeyed as far as Honolulu, Callahan himself eluded capture indefinitely. The prison's population now included violent criminals and those condemned to death. 
1933, simmering discontent erupted into a full-blown riot fueled by inadequate recreational facilities, overcrowding, and idleness. Inmates set fires within their cells and destroyed workshops during this unrest. The following year witnessed yet another riot, this time sparked by grievances over wages. Prisoners sabotaged electrical outlets, ignited fires, and incited further disturbances. In April 1945, 12 men embarked on a daring escape through a 97-foot-long tunnel that was painstakingly dug by a man named Clarence Clandenst, a prison plasterer. Oh, that's, a, that's a tongue twister. Painstakingly dug by Clarence Clandenst, a prison plasterer. There's an example of how I really talk if I don't really stop and read each word and try to enunciate. Imagine how bad this show would be if I just let my just let the old mouth run rampant. However, their bid for uh, freedom, Clarence's uh, tunnel, it was short-lived, as they were swiftly recaptured and returned to their cells. The year 1959 witnessed the inauguration of a new cell block dedicated to housing violent criminals. This final addition was now the only one equipped with electric doors. Notably, despite housing those on death row, Eastern State Penitentiary never witnessed an execution within its formidable walls. In 1961, an inmate named John Klausenberg orchestrated a scheme that would ignite the largest riot in the prison's storied history. By exploiting a guard's trust, Klausenberg and another prisoner overpowered their captor, plunging the prison into chaos. It took many hours of chaos for a coalition of police officers, guards, and state troopers to regain control. The specter of closure loomed over Eastern State Penitentiary after this event, its reputation tarnished by overcrowding and rampant deterioration. Discussions surrounding its fate gained momentum. In January of 1970, the prison finally closed its imposing doors and inmates were relocated to the State Correctional Institution at Gradiford. However, following the riot at Holmesburg Prison, Eastern State Penitentiary once again opened its gates to house some of these displaced inmates. It wasn't until 1971 that the prison officially shuttered its operations forever. Over its illustrious span of 142 years, Eastern State Penitentiary bore witness to the confinement of approximately 75,000 inmates, including infamous figures such as Al Capone and Willie Sutton. While more than 100 individuals attempted escape during this time, all were ultimately recaptured, except for Leo Callahan, whose whereabouts were never discovered. Within the hallowed halls of this decaying fortress, two guards and several inmates met their tragic demise. Suicides cast a dark shadow upon the prison, while countless others succumbed to disease and inevitably age. Designated as a National Historic Landmark in 1965, the prison languished in abandonment after its closure a dilapidated shell ravaged by vandalism and the encroachment of nature. The city of Philadelphia, recognizing the potential for redevelopment, acquired the property. Various proposals emerged, including the demolition of the structure to make way for a criminal justice center, a shopping mall, or even luxury apartments. However, in 1988, a task force successfully rallied against further development paving the way for the Pennsylvania Prison Society to transform the prison into an open-air museum in 1994. Today, Eastern State Penitentiary stands as a testament to a bygone era, a preserved ruin that beckons visitors year-round. Its foreboding corridors bear witness to countless tales of paranormal activity. 
investigated by numerous paranormal groups and featured in various television shows. This haunted prison has become a mecca for those seeking encounters with the otherworldly. Visitors, staff, and investigators alike recount chilling experiences within its walls. Disembodied screams, cries of pain, sadistic laughter, and whispers that echo through this labyrinth. Cell doors mysteriously open and slam shut on the third floor, while shadowy figures glide along the walls of cell block six. In cell block four, ghostly figures contorted in anguish materialize, accompanied by eerie whispers that pierce the stillness. The catwalk serves as a hotbed for paranormal encounters. Temperature fluctuations that defy explanation, ghostly apparitions captured on video, and mysterious voices echoing hauntingly through the air. Orbs and streaks of light materialize without warning. Unseen hands tap unsuspecting shoulders, and an overwhelming sensation of being watched pervades the atmosphere. Eastern State Penitentiary stands as a testament to the indelible imprint of the past, where the echoes of history mingle with the ethereal whispers of restless souls. As we emerge from the shadows of Pennsylvania's haunting tales, I hope you found yourself captivated by the echoes of history and the mysteries that linger in the air. If you enjoyed this journey into the heart of Eastern State Penitentiary and the ghostly town of Centralia, be sure to subscribe, rate, leave a review. It helps me out greatly. Do you have your own thoughts or encounters with the unknown? If so, share them with me on social media, my Instagram or Facebook. I'd love to hear about them. And until next time, remember that the past is never truly silent, and the stories it tells can shape the present in ways we may never fully understand. May the legends of Pennsylvania forever ignite your curiosity and keep you ever watchful. For within these tales lies the essence of this land, waiting to be discovered by those who dare to seek it. Told you I was going to use it again. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Music by Kevin McLeod. Happy birthday again, Jen. <laughs>